Let us pray. Our most gracious God, continue evermore to draw near to us and enlighten our hearts and our minds. Help us to know you through your Son, Jesus, of whom is revealed to us in these scriptures. Grant us knowledge of your truth and your spirit to guide us this day and every day that we might draw near to you as you have drawn near to us. And we ask this all through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Come and see. Those are the words that occur from Philip to Nathaniel. Come and see. It makes me think of how I often have to describe Anglican worship to people. I start describing it and they get confused and they don't know what to make of it because it seems so different from most churches in our area. And so it always often just boils down to, well, you, you just got to come and see it. You just got to come and experience. You've got to come and be amongst the people to really grasp why we worship the way that we do. It's something that can't be described but has to be witnessed with your own eyes. And those are the words that Philip gives to Nathaniel today when he goes and finds Nathaniel and tells him about Jesus and tells him about the Messiah. Philip can just simply say, come and see, because it's only in coming and seeing who Jesus is, coming and experiencing him, coming to know him, that we will truly come to know him. It's not just about knowing information about him, but it's about drawing near and seeing him for who he is and letting him be at work in you. Not just letting him be at work in you, but receiving the work that he has already accomplished for you on his behalf. And so we must come and see who Jesus is. And when we do, we'll discover that our coming and seeing Jesus wasn't us doing it ourselves, but it was because God had already found us. God had already known us. And that God was already taking us beyond where we were starting. That God is at work in us because of what Jesus has done. And so the first thing that we see in our gospel text as we think about coming and seeing Jesus is that Jesus finds us. It just simply says there in, chapter, in verse 43, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. I think John includes that little note about, about Andrew and Peter because in the previous passage we heard about two of John the Baptist's disciples, Andrew and an unnamed one, which most commentators, I think, take to be John hiding there in his own text. And they heard John the Baptist declare who Jesus was. And so they went and followed Jesus. And when they went up to him and started talking to him, he said, come and you will see when they asked where he was staying. And so they went and stayed with him that day. And so one of them was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And then Andrew went and brought, Jesus, brought Peter to Jesus, his brother Simon to Jesus. And Jesus said, you're going to be called Peter. You're going to be called Cephas. And so I think John includes that little note that Philip was from the same city as Andrew and Peter to, to give us a little bit of emphasis on the fact that Philip had probably heard some things about Jesus already from Andrew and Philip overnight. They had probably encountered Andrew and Philip or Andrew and Peter and heard about this Jesus. 
And so when Jesus says, follow me, there's already been stirrings in him from his friends telling them about this man named Jesus. And suddenly Jesus comes to him and finds him and says, follow me, commands him to come and go after him. And Philip does. God found Philip. Jesus found Philip and called him to himself because God was at work already. He had poured out his word into Andrew and, Phil, Andrew and Peter, and that word found Peter. And then Jesus found, found Philip. That word found Philip, and then Philip was found by Jesus. And what does Philip then turn around and do? He goes and finds someone else. He finds Nathanael. And he says, we found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. Come and see this man named Jesus. And in this, we go on to hear that Nathanael does go. And when Jesus sees Nathanael coming, Jesus knows Nathanael already and says, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said, how do you know me? Jesus simply answered, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. You see, God already knew Nathanael. He had already seen him and he knew what he was. He says to Nathanael that he is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. That's important to pick up on here. Nathanael is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Think back to your Old Testament scriptures. Who was an Israelite known for his deceit? It's Jacob, the patriarch. Jacob, whose name means striving at times, or usurper or deceiver. Guile. He's the one who deceived his own father into thinking he was Esau so that he could cheat his way into the firstborn's blessing. Jacob, the cheater. Jacob, the beguiler. It's important to hear us and to hear Jesus refer to Nathanael as one who is without deceit because it's hinting at what Jesus is about to tell Nathanael and Philip and all those gathered with them. There's a, it's a little hint of what Jesus is about to say. He'll draw his listeners toward J Jacob with that statement about Nathanael having no deceit and he'll open their eyes to a truth about Jacob. But you see, more importantly, even more so in all of this is that God knew Nathanael. He said, I saw you under the fig tree. You're one without deceit. You're one who is committed to the scriptures, who is studying them, who is wanting to understand them. He knew him before he came and found Jesus. Before he was called to Jesus, Jesus knew him. And the same is true for us, that we are already known by Jesus whether we realize it or not. Before we came to faith, before we were baptized, before we were even told about the gospel, Jesus knew us. He knew where we were in life. And that's the beauty of the gospel. One of the beautiful aspects of the gospel is that no matter where we are, Jesus knows us and calls us. Through his word and through his people, he calls us to himself. We heard from 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 12 about all kinds of sinners there in Corinth. Paul said that some of them were sexually immoral and adulterers. They were idolaters. They practiced homosexuality. They were thieves. They were greedy. They were drunkards and revilers and swindlers. 
The people that Paul is talking to practiced all kinds of sins. He lines up sexual immorality and all those sins alongside being greedy and being drunk, being a swindler. Those kinds of people don't inherit the kingdom of God. But Paul gives us the gospel and he says, such were some of you. You used to be that. That's what you used to identify as. And God knew you were that and yet he washes you. He sanctifies you. He justifies you. He calls you to himself in the name of Jesus. No matter where you are, God knows who you are. He knows what you are. But he gives to us baptism. He gives to us sanctification and setting apart. He gives to us justification, the being made right in Jesus. And he gives us the Spirit, the Holy Spirit himself, to work all of that into us, to change us, to renew us. To call us to himself. That no matter where we are, God knows you. Jesus knows you. And such were some of you. Such were some of us. Sinners who practice all kinds of sins. Who still practice various kinds of sin. Who are overcoming those sins little by little by the Spirit of God working in us. By us being washed in baptism. By us being set apart by the Holy Spirit. By us being justified by Jesus himself. United to him. Our sins don't keep us from that redemption that is in Jesus because he's made us into something new. He's disconnected us from our sins so that we can be connected to him, so that we can be united to him. And so God calls us from wherever we happen to be to himself in Jesus. He finds us and he knows us. But even more, God will take us beyond that point where he finds us. He'll take us beyond that point when he knows us and makes us into someone new. We see this in the fact that when Jesus said that he saw Philip under the fig tree, that in rabbinic literature, it talks about the fig tree being a place of meditation upon the scriptures. That one who is meditating and praying, seeking to understand the scriptures, will go and sit under the fig tree. And that's the picture we have of Nathaniel here, someone who is wrestling with Scripture, who is trying to understand it. And he must have known quite a bit because that was, was the first words from Philip. We found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote. We found the Messiah. That's what all of that Scripture that we study is all about, is about this one man. And Nathaniel was eager to discover more, even though he did say, what good can come out of Nazareth? Because there are no messianic prophecies about Nazareth. He's not putting down Nazareth. He's not making fun of Nazareth per se. But he's just like, wait, the Messiah is from the Nazareth? Are you kidding me? There's no prophecies about Nazareth. The Messiah can't come from Nazareth. But Philip was so convinced of it that he said, come and see. Come and experience. Come and know this one who is the king of Israel. And that's what happens Nathaniel comes and he hears and he recognizes that Jesus is the Son of God, the King of Israel. He has studied the scriptures and encountering this omniscient one, this one who knows him so deeply, he recognizes his authority. He recognizes his kingship. He recognizes that he is the anointed one of God to lead Israel out of the exile that they find themselves in, out of not knowing and hearing from God anymore. But Jesus tells him, you will see greater than this. 
I may have said to you, I saw you under that fig tree, but you're going to see greater things as you follow me. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened up and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Here's where it gets fun in this passage, I think. You see what I said earlier about Jacob and deceit? Nathaniel's one without deceit hinting at Jacob. Well, Jesus here turns around and makes a massive reference to Jacob's ladder, to when Jacob fled from Esau and was out in the desert all alone, sleeping in the sand and on the dirt. He had a vision. He had a dream of a ladder stretching from heaven down to the earth, connecting heaven and earth, and the angels were ascending and descending, going up and down, carrying out the will of God. Heaven was opened in that place, and Jacob saw a picture of God at work, behind the scenes, active, in a way that he hadn't seen before. And the Lord stood beside him and made him a promise that in him all the nations of the world would be blessed. He received the promise of Abraham, just as his father Isaac had received. He too receives that same promise of being the one through whom God is going to work and be active, the one through whom the Messiah, the Savior of the world, will come. Jacob didn't fully understand all of that. He just knew that God was going to be working in him and blessing him. As he sees the angels ascending and descending upon this ladder, the heavens opened. And here Jesus makes this about himself. He points out that you're going to see heaven opened. Those who had seen him baptized had seen a glimpse of heaven opening in a way and heard the Father speaking and the Holy Spirit descending like a dove to rest upon Jesus. But here Jesus says the heavens will open. It's apocalyptic language pointing to the revelation and the revealing of God's glory. The heavens are going to open and God is going to be revealed. God is going to show himself to you people. Think about that. If heaven's opening is about God's glory being revealed to us, what did John say a little bit earlier in John 1? Over in verse 14 and 16, he says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then in verse 16, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. You see, when God opens up heaven and he reveals the Messiah, he reveals his glory in the Messiah. He reveals grace upon grace. He reveals the fullness of his grace and his mercy towards us. And it is found in Jesus. Later on in the Gospel of John, Jesus will say that he is about to be glorified and the Son will glorify the Father as Judas is leaving the Last Supper to go betray him. That the glory of God is linked to the cross. The glory of God is linked to the suffering of Christ on the cross in order to redeem the world from its sins. Heaven opens and God's glory is revealed. And that glory is in the cross. And it brings grace upon grace for all who look upon it and they see Jesus. And they are changed by that looking, by coming and seeing. But here even more, Jesus becomes that ladder for the angels of God ascend and descend upon the Son of Man. For as the heavens open, the Son of Man connects those very heavens to this very earth. He is the God-man. 
truly God and truly man. He is the bridge, the ladder, the stairway that connects us to the Father. And the angels are ascending and descending upon him, carrying out the will of God. For Jesus is the will of God. Jesus is the one who accomplishes it perfectly. And the angels travel upon him to reach out to us, to work in us, to draw us and protect us. As they go about doing God's work, they are the messengers of God. And Jesus says to Nathaniel and to Philip and maybe even Andrew and Peter, you're going to see the heavens open and you're going to see the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You're going to see me become that ladder that connects heaven and earth that Jacob saw so long ago, that deceitful one who has given a vision of God at work. You're going to see God working in the greatest way in me. And the greatest way that God works is Jesus being crucified for our sins, being raised for our justification, ascending that he might then send the Holy Spirit. The glory of God is inextricably linked with the death of Jesus, which always leads to his resurrection and ascension. They're not disconnected from it, but we see that those do not come without the crucifixion, without the suffering. What we think of as glory being this bright, effusive light from God is found in the suffering of Jesus. Jesus doesn't enter into that glory that we always think of until he first suffers for us and it's revealed that that is where the glory is. That that suffering is gloriful. It is glorifying for the Father and Jesus because it brings a host of people to himself. It brings forgiveness of sins upon this world and makes us able to receive the Father through the Son by the Spirit. There's one other thing about this Son of God, the Son of Man, having the angels descending and ascending. Jacob called that place where he saw that happening Bethel, the house of God. And here Jesus is God tabernacling with us, God taking up an abode, God coming and dwelling amongst us. That word there in 1 John 1.14, when, or in John 1.14, when John writes that he, the word dwelt among us, the word behind that is the same word that's used for the tabernacle, that place where God met his people before the temple existed. And any talk of the tabernacle drives us straight to thinking about the temple, for those are the places where God meets us, where heaven and earth for the Israelites met. And here Jesus saying that he is that standing point. He is that temple ultimately. For he is the place of Bethel. He is the place of the house of God. It's another place where our text from 1 Corinthians connects with this. We are united to Christ. Christ is the true temple. He is the true Bethel. He is the one upon whom the angels ascend and descend, and we are united to that one. We're united to that true house of God, to that true temple, and because of that, we, as the people of God, become the temple of God as well. We become Bethel's. We become the house of God. And being the house of God, we become a place where angels ascend and descend because we are connected to Christ. God is at work in us and sending us out to do his work. He is sending us out to accomplish his will every day because we are his temple. Just as Jesus is the true and glorious temple of God, we are united into that and built into it 
I like how Peter says it in one of his letters about us being living stones built together into a glorious temple. That Paul's emphasis there in 1 Corinthians 6 at the end of chapter 6 isn't about us as individuals being little temples of God per se, but it's all pluralist. You all are the temple, singular. That is the people of God united together, brought together, being with one another that we are the temple. We are the place where the Spirit dwells. We are the place where Jesus comes and is present. That there's a specialness in the gathering of God's people to be together in worship and to work together with one another. That the Spirit is active and present in a special and unique way because of that gathering. Because together we are the temple. We are the temple united to Jesus who is the true and only temple. The true and perfect temple. And the people of God are united to Him. That's not to deny that the Spirit indwells each of us individually and that in an individual way we are to the temple. Both of those realities are true and they stand side by side working together. That we as the temple are united to Christ to be that temple and to receive that Spirit and to be the one in whom God is working. The heavens are opened and Jesus is revealed. And we come and see Him for who He is. We come and see Him for what He is, knowing that He has found us, knowing that He knows us intimately. He knows everything that we've done. He knows everything that we will do. And He receives us and washes us and makes us His own. So come and see this one who will wash you, who will sanctify you, who will justify you, who will make you His temple, who will dwell in you, the one who connects heaven and earth and thus brings you into heaven, into His very presence to be with Him and the Father by the Spirit dwelling in us, uniting us, connecting us, bridging us to Him. We don't have to ascend the ladder because Jesus is the ladder and He has made us one with Him and thus Him connecting heaven and earth brings heaven to us. He brings the Father to us. We don't go to the Father. The Father comes to us in Jesus. And that's why we come and see Jesus. And so may we always draw near. May we always come and see this one who has found us and who truly knows us and carries us into places unknown, further in and further up, beyond what we know, because He has come to us. So come and see this day, this Jesus, who is our Lord and Savior, the King of heaven and earth, the glorious one upon whom the angels ascend and descend. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.